to making it. Um, so last week, you will have seen that Laura was on the show from Street Group. Uh, we talked all things recruitment and, and the culture there. Uh, but this week, we've got the, the two founding members, uh, Heather and Tom. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, not a problem. Really excited. So last week, we obviously, with, with Laura, we went over, you know, how the how she's found street groups since she, she, she joined and, and the kind of culture there and a real good insight into into what you are building. But she did mention, you know, it started, usually at this point, I kind of go back to, to university and say, let's start from there. Let's go from there. But with you two, it, it's slightly different. So, um, you know, we'll go back way back when. Um, I, I believe it's a, a kind of family um, environment there. And, and at the start, I think it was your, your father, if I'm right in saying, Heather? Yeah, so, well, uh, yeah, our backgrounds are slightly different, but our mum and dad were both estate agents. So my background is uh, accounting, actually. So I spent 10 years at KPMG. And Tom's always run various businesses, but is also a software engineer. But yeah, yeah. you could say the property industry was sort of in our blood, as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what kind of, um, to begin with then, what kind of a relationship with the business and with that as from a child did you both have respectively, Tom? Yeah, uh, I think we were both quite kind of heavily involved with having parents who were both kind of entrepreneurs then uh, they were running their own businesses uh, initially together and uh, <laughs> uh, separately uh, further down the line. But um, I think you get, you naturally get quite a, a big exposure to it. So from a pretty young age, we're kind of, uh, listening to it a lot and then as we were kind of getting into teens and able to go and help out and work there then you just end up actually in branch doing a lot of the actual work as well so uh, throughout kind of the latter years of school and then college and university spent quite a lot of time actually in the branches doing the job yeah do you think you learned more during that period than 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 any other time really well you know that childhood did you kind of get that kind of exposure where you learned obviously so much about a business that it really paid dividends later on in life when you, you finally started street group tom sorry i think uh i think yeah the point where i actually learned the most was actually after university so i'd set up a uh an inventory company and i was doing a bit of um tech kind of consulting and i ended up going back and working in our dad's agency kind of uh, initially part-time and then full-time for a couple of years so uh, it was that way you got a kind of full exposure to it yeah and having my uh, other business and also being involved in tech being yeah. exposed to the technology that they were using was a bit of a, an eye-opener to be honest because uh, I had no idea really how far behind the tech was in state agency until I was actually in branch trying to use it so what was your first position as a, as a software engineer? Then where, what kind of industry did you work in originally? So it was uh, not through choice, really, that I ended up um, getting into software engineering. So uh, initially, uh, I never actually formally trained in it. So yeah. my, um, uh, when I went to uni, I did uh, finance um, and so a lot of like, trading and accounting and stuff like that. Um, so it was always a bit of a hobby. I always used to tinker um, and then as I was building um, kind of my first few companies with no capital, uh, it, was, uh, it was a means to an end to kind of build the, the, initially the websites and then kind of the platforms we're using. Um, and then my inventory company, we, we have a, 
booking platform that I built. So that was my first real commercial exposure to proper backend development. Yeah. Uh, and then I've just been doing it ever since. Yeah, and and what about you? You have a then so slightly different um, journey up until this point, really, for you. I noticed, you know, KPMG for for quite a while as well. Um, worked your way up to, to associate director. So, what kind of um, how did that play a part in in Street Group then? Yeah, I think it's fair to say I'm probably one of the many people who get to the end of uni and think, "Oh my God, you know, what am I going to do?" Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hence, how I ended up at KPMG. So, I was in restructuring to begin with and that's where I qualified and then I moved into turnaround so helping businesses that were underperforming you know return to profitability and I think I learned a lot of like foundational stuff working for KPMG in terms of the way to do things how to structure things process that sort of stuff um, but I always wanted to run my own business and so I was constantly looking for any opportunity where I thought yeah I can do it and then Tom came up with the idea for Spectre and I was like, I'm fully on board. I'll quit my job. And I think every, well, a lot of people in my life were a bit like, sorry, what? Are you doing what? Um, except Tom, who encouraged me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And honestly, I've, I've never looked back. I, I just love, I love the industry, which might sound a bit weird when I think the, the industry doesn't have the best reputation. But when, when you're in it, it's fascinating. No two days are the same. Yeah, and, and to be honest, that's the impression I got from, from Laura as well. I know she's fairly new to it, but the, the way she described it and the way she described Street Group is like, she, everyone loves it. Like, this, she was so passionate. And that's one thing what really, really stood out. And I think straight away, I know we're, what, five minutes in or 10 minutes in, and, and I can tell that straight away, you know, you're both really passionate about, about what you've created here um, and, and the future. You know, you mentioned a lot of people were, were naysayers to, to be fair so they, they didn't encourage you did that pay any respect to you did you at any point go I don't I don't think I should do this did you have any chance where you kind of thought no this you know is what? I've, I've thought about this a lot because I look back and think god you know I just bought a house in London so I had a massive mortgage you know what was I thinking at the time and <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think, like Tom touched on earlier, we'd grown up with two parents who'd both set up businesses. And I think we'd seen it, we'd seen the highs, we'd seen the lows. Um, and I think because I, sometimes when you grow up with something, you just, I knew that that's what I wanted to do, even if there were lows or, you know, just what, I'd rather have the roller coaster than a, you know, gradual trajectory. So I think having, I mean, my mum as well was, and dad, to be fair, were very, uh, very encouraging and saying, you know, go for it. And I was very much of the opinion at the time, there's not much in life that's undoable. And yeah. um, I spoke to my employer, KPMG at the time, who were amazing. And they said, look, go and do it. You know, if it doesn't work out, you've got a job here. Wow. Um, they actually carried on paying me for a few, a couple of months. They uh, said, oh, you know, we think you're coming back. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, they were they were extremely supportive, and I think that all combined into actually taking the plunge and doing it. Yeah. And what what about you, Tom? Well, same same question. Did you did you uh, you obviously came up with the idea? Did you um, ever think, God, what have I, what have I got myself into? <laughs> Not really, because I've always done it. So I think that's why me and Heather work so well together. Is that I've got that kind of startup experience because i've done it quite a few times to varying degrees of uh, success <laughs> and, um, but i lack that experience in a big company so that's where like i just don't have the experience of working for a company like kpmg so the two sides kind of work really well together um 
but I, because I've always done it, I don't. I almost don't know better. Yeah. Do you think that played a big part in in the success you've had now? The fact that you've failed before. Um. I'm not saying you have failed. I'm just saying less successful. Should we say then? Actually, let me take that back. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that, I mean, that's a point. I have none of my previous companies ever failed, um, which is not something you read about often. Like when you talk about startups, it's very much, a, uh, you know, like you, you'll either have that hockey stick growth or you'll crash and burn, uh, you know, spectacularly. My experience has never been that. I've had other businesses that have just, um, you know, done all right, like, you know, yeah. ticked over very solid businesses. Um, and so, yeah, my kind of startup experience isn't quite the traditional uh, went and got funding, crashed and burned, did it again and again until I eventually um, had a success. So my story is a little bit different from that. Yeah, because you do hear a lot of them stories. I think uh, we've had, I've had people on the show before who have kind of said, you know, we've had, we've created nine or, or so businesses and only one of them has succeeded. Um, so it is, it is definitely a rare, a rare commodity that the fact that you've had, you know, such good experiences in the past. Do you think though that what what's the difference? I guess um, just following on that before we kind of rely on the importance of having each other, um, which is obviously something we touched upon slightly there. But I mean, what do you reckon personally is the difference between this idea and any previous idea, other than obviously the fact that this idea has has smashed it? Is <laughs> one one way of putting it. But yeah, what do you think the difference is? That's a really good question. Um, I think clearly me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're going to get to that eventually. I think you, you, you learn lessons from the previous companies. And I think one of the key things was kind of scalability. And I think um, tech companies are naturally more, more scalable. Mm. Um, as much as it pains me to give my sister a, a public uh, compliment, okay. Heather, Heather's been um, a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, my other, so I've still got another business that is still going. I've got another business partner that, who actually handles the day-to-day of that. Um, but they're just two, they're two very different businesses in, in kind of what they're, how they're made up. And, and we'll go to, to Heather now and, and, and talk about how, how she's been the key factor here. But yeah, no, listen, you obviously rely on each other. But from your point of view, Heather, how have you kind of lent on Tom? How, how's, how, how's that relationship, relationship been so important? Uh, well, to be honest, it's Tom's idea, so I can't take any credit here, really. Um, um, you know, I think fundamentally we're a tech business and it's Tom that's got the tech knowledge and the estate agency knowledge, which is a very rare combination of knowledge sets. Um, and I think if I think back to why this business has been more successful out of yours, Tom, I do think you're right. It's tech and it's been it's a SaaS business and it's very scalable. Yeah. So. You know, you can bootstrap a company like ours, get a bit of traction, and all of a sudden you can go for that, you know, explosive growth. So yeah. I think that's, um, whereas your other businesses, Tom, I think it's fair to say, you know, you need people, you know, it's more difficult to achieve that rapid growth because you have to scale a lot of the back end stuff at the same rate, whereas with SaaS, you don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tom, Tom's very much got the uh, very important skill set here. Um, yeah which is obviously the foundation of why it's our entire business, really. Yeah. Do you, how, how many times then have, I don't want to start one here, but how many times have you two had an argument about uh, certain topics? Is there anyone who kind of comes out on top during during the process? And I'll put that to you first, Heather. <laughs> Do you know what? We, I, I've got um, 
loads of siblings. <laughs> we don't ever fall out, none of us, which I think is probably quite rare. So me and Tom have never, ever had a disagreement on anything other than um, pool table versus table, table tennis table for the office. That is the only time we had. That's the big one, though. Who, who won that? Me. <laughs> what was it? Which one did you go with? <laughs> table tennis table. But in fair, I didn't actually win the argument, did I, Tom? We just inherited an office with a table tennis table. Yeah, that counts as a win. <laughs> in terms of, like, the actual, like, the having a co-founder relationship i don't understand how people do this on their own i honestly can't imagine going through the highs and the lows on your own i, th I feel like that must be uh you know really like testing journey to be able to ride out the lows on your own because even even with you know uh, a co-founder who is my sister there's still points that it's you know it's quite lonely at the top but like it's a cliche but it is true so how people do that on their own, I've got no idea. Yeah, no, we hear that. Well, I've heard that a load, a load from everyone I've spoken to, to be honest. And and some people use, I think these organizations and groups where people can collaborate together and lean on people. And then you come to the side where other people have said the most important thing we've had is executive directors, you know, people who have come in and kind of uh, help them on, on that on that sense. It, Obviously, it started off with you two. You've grown quite rapidly. You've got quite a few a few people now. Um, do you hand out responsibility quite easily, or who kind of goes, no, no, pull that back out? I, I want to keep hold of that. So uh, that has definitely been uh, a learning process for both of us because I don't. I think um, one of the things that has uh, contributed to the success of the street group is the fact we're both extremely detail orientated we're both we both have extremely high standards um and i think with that comes a little bit of control freakishness um, and so i think i probably you know speak first as when i say we we do struggle initially we struggle to delegate fully and yeah. you you quickly realize that that is a very unscalable thing to 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 do so uh, you have to learn to delegate uh, and i would say I'm, I'm a lot better at it now and it's not just delegate, you know, it's, it's letting go of control and trusting somebody um, within your team to really take control of something and, and have ownership of it. Uh, I think, to be fair, that, that comes down as well to making the right hires and having the right people in the team that you can trust to completely take over certain responsibilities. Yeah. And the first time you ever did that, Heather, was it, did you try and pull it back or did, did one of you stop each other and go, no, we've, we've handed that away now. Let, let them deal with it. Give them that responsibility. Um, do you know, this is, so we ask the same eight questions every time we have a one-to-one -one with all of our staff. And one of those eight questions is what would you do differently if you were me? And you always get good answers. And I started to realize that some of the answers that I was getting from various members of the team was, I would delegate more, I would delegate more. And sometimes when you hear it from your own team, you're like, right, okay, I actively need to delegate more because clearly this is upward feedback that I'm getting over and over again. So um, yeah, I've, I found that the more I've done it, the easier it's become as well, because I think because sometimes I did like to keep hold of things, people knew that it would go through me before going out. Whereas if you say, actually, I'm happy for you to just put that out without me, me doing it, then they know that it's got to be of a certain standard anyway. So the, yeah, we're, we're getting better at it, but I agree with Tom, it's one of the areas that we're not particularly great at. Yeah, I like the eight question idea. Where, where did you come up with, with that? 
Oh, we stole it, didn't we, Tom, from um, a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's quite, quite a good idea, though. I like, I like that. Yeah. So it, you, we've obviously talked about the, the positives of starting a, a tech company um, in, in the way that it's, it's hugely scalable. What were the, the initial challenges then um, from that? Obviously, we'll, we'll touch on the pandemic, which is which is now happening anyway, and, and obviously the challenges that come with that. But, I mean, initially, when you first started, what did you find were the, the most difficult aspects, Tom? I think initially the most difficult aspect is definitely hiring on the technical side. Um, so we had the advantage that I was a developer, but I was by no means at that point, because that this was kind of, uh, five years ago uh, my technical skills weren't what they are now so you're constantly trying to hire people with better technical skills than you which yeah. you come across the kind of um, the, the Japanese translator problem or whatever they call it whereby you're trying to interview somebody and you're asking technical questions they're giving answers and you don't have the skill to evaluate whether those answers are correct and at the beginning it's not as simple as saying, oh, I'll go and use a recruiter because being bootstrapped, recruiter fees were just too high for us at that time. Yeah, yeah, and so you end up in this catch 22 where you have to hire yourself, but you don't have the skills. So at, at that point in our journey, I think initially that's been the most difficult. Really? And, and how did you overcome that? Did you, did you do it t together? Did you both kind of come up with with different solutions, obviously you, you would handle that. I'm guessing the, the technical side of that uh, in some aspects on, but Heather, what did you come, come up with to, to kind of battle that and, and, and come out on top? We tried lots of things. I mean, we, me and Tom are both big readers, so we would try to, you know, copy what other companies had, had achieved. So, you know, like we work, is it called work rules, Tom? The Google, you know, how they recruit, how they do their processes. Um, you know, so we tried to learn a lot from that, but. I mean, we still made mistakes along the way. And now, you know, we have the luxury of having somebody like Laura as our head of talent, who is just amazing. Um, so she helps a lot to make sure we make good hires pretty much every time. Yeah, yeah. And she's, she's doing, from, from what I spoke with, I've spoken with her a few times, she's, she's doing a phenomenal job as well, you know. She, and she's loving it, which, is, which brings me to my, to my next point. The, the love, the kind of Laura show you two obviously have for the industry. Uh, how do you go about put instilling that into 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 people who work for you, into your employees? Because it seems like everyone I speak to loves street group. So how, how have you managed to do that, Tom? I don't think it's something the love for the industry. I don't think it's something we actively try and instill in people. Like it is a bit of a running joke here that the estate agency technology industry it does kind of like suck you in. But it's just a very, as much as it doesn't sound it from the outside, and that, you know, that was one of our recruiting problems that we had to face at the beginning is yeah. going out into the market and saying we make estate agency software on the surface sounds so dull, but it's actually a really, really interesting market because the kind of tech revolution that every other industry went through like 10 years ago is happening right now in estate agency. And I don't think there are many industries left where that is either happening or yet to happen yeah, where huge opportunities to uh you know completely change the way certain markets and industries work so i think that's why people like it because it is a genuinely interesting industry and you can come up with an idea deliver it and see that change a market within the space of like three months 
yeah, yeah. And and obviously the the changes are happening all the time. Like you said, you know, it's constantly evolving. Street Group has has now started to, to really scale, um, and you've released a couple of uh, new things in the last month, in the last few months. And obviously, 2020 was going to be a huge year, I'm guessing for for you guys. And then the pandemic hit. Uh, and how did? Fortunately, from 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 the looks of it, it sounds like it's kind of worked out. I never say as a positive, but there's been some benefits to that in terms of the housing market picking up and and, and a lot of people looking to move and myself even. I mean, I love a garden now. Uh, I'm sick of being indoors, but yeah, I mean, how, how has the, the pandemic and 2020 panned out compared to what you projected ever? Yeah, I think obviously the pandemic took us all by surprise and, uh, you know, one of our products, the, the the one that we established five years ago, Spectre, is a marketing tool for estate agents. So naturally, when estate agents had to shut, they weren't, you know, didn't move it, well, most of them didn't want to do much marketing. So we felt that and we felt it really hard for uh, a period of time, along with a load of other businesses. So, you know, I get that we weren't alone with this. So we offered 60% off for three months and then 40% off for the next two months. So obviously that, that took a, a huge hit on our top line. Um, but then we were really fortunate with the industry, you know, the stamp duty holiday and, you know, the fact that agents were able to get back to work quite early on because the housing market is a huge multiplier for the economy. So if you can get people moving house, it doesn't just pay estate agency fees, it pays conveyances fees, surveyors fees, you know, people buy furniture, they pay removal men, you know, so in terms of how important it is for people to keep moving, I think the chancellor obviously knew that um, and therefore helped the, that whole industry get, just gave it a bit of a kickstart, which obviously helped our industry. And then in terms of prop tech, and um, so I think we've been very fortunate and we're now back uh, from a Spectre perspective to where we were before, just slightly above. So, um, you know, we've been, we've been lucky there. And then it's, it's also, you know, we've carried on developing street, which is our new product, which I, again, like obviously the pandemic has been awful. Um, but it's, it gave us the opportunity to launch a new product to the market virtually, which would have been unheard of prior to the pandemic. Where we had over 1,100 agents uh, registered for this launch event. You know, we couldn't have we couldn't have got them there in person. And I think unless they had been familiar with Zoom, which I would have hazarded a guess that 90% of them wouldn't have been, yeah. um, there's no way we would have been able to achieve that. So there are some positives to come out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Laura said, and I'm hoping I get this figure right, but she said that 94% conversion rate, was it? Or is around that in terms of call? Have I got that close? Yeah, I mean, me and Tom, when we, when we developed Street, we thought, you know, it's such a departure from the current industry CRMs. It might be too far. It might be too much of a leap for an agent to get, you know, to get what we've created. But I think we underestimated the market, would you say, Tom, in this respect? I think a lot of agents are desperate for this technology. Yeah, I think we, we've, we've got a bit lucky as well with the timing, because when we started developing Street, we've actually been developing this for three years. Um, so to release it at this juncture, it just so happens, I mean, nothing to do with the pandemic, but I think agents have just, I think the, the kind of knowledge of where the technology should be has, has yeah. appeared. Whereas previously they were using terrible technology, but many weren't aware of what it should look like. That awareness has come. And I think the frustration has kind of reached a boiling point in the industry where people are fed up with the current providers and they, they, they want, they're actively looking for something new. Yeah. And more by looks and judgment, we're launching at that point. So um, I think a couple of things have kind of conspired in our favor. 
yeah, yeah. And Street was launched on the 24th of November, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and how, how's that, that launch that launch gone then? So what we're a couple of weeks, couple of weeks in coming up to now, how, how's it been? I'll let Heather take that one. <laughs> it's been wild. <laughs> yeah, we, we launched and we had 1,100 registrations of which roughly about 700 actually tuned in, um, which far exceeded our expectations for how many people would actually watch this launch event. It was an hour long launch event, which basically a big demo of the product. Um, and then since then, we've just been flooded with demand from the likes of huge, you know, international PLCs through to small one branch independents. So um, from our perspective, what all we wanted to achieve with the launch was to let the, the industry know that, hey, there's another option. Here it is. This is coming. You can have it sort of thing. So that, you know, if when they're ready to change the CRM, they knew that we were an option. Um, but I, didn't, I think we under underestimated how many would having seen it want to switch there and then, um, which is great for us. So we're now obviously recruiting, we're trying to scale up and we're, we're accelerating a lot of what we're building in the product to help onboard clients uh, faster, essentially, so that we can deal with the demand. Yeah, and, and what's uh, the plan then? I, I mean, how, how much do you want to recruit? How much do you want to kind of scale now in, in 2021? Heather, sorry, we'll start with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's the beauty of the launch event because we now know that we've got the demand. So we know we can just go for it in terms of recruitment. Now, obviously, there's when you recruit devs, you can only do that at a certain pace. Um, so we're just recruiting as fast as we can onboard and train developers without massively slowing the team down. Um, and then for the commercial side, a lot of what we've built is, is automation. But obviously, you do still need people for, to, for agents to talk to. Um, so yeah, we've got a new starter starting in January and we've got a job advert going out live today. So that side is, is easier to scale because there's no constraints there. Yeah. I think the other, the other side of things from a developer recruitment point of view is we've, especially for the last couple of years, had a very high bar um, from a technical perspective. So we're very selective, um, but also from a culture fit. So we've got a great culture here and it's one of the things we're really desperate to protect. So whilst we want to scale the, the engineering side as quickly as possible, um, we're not going to compromise on either the technical quality or the cultural fit. So that's actually the main um, kind of impediment to growing the team at this point. Yeah, and that's something I touched upon with, with Laura as well. We were saying, you know, skills get people jobs uh, and I'm sure you, you read TVs all the time. With, with all the, the right skills, but culture and, and being the right fit on that on that sense is what keeps people in jobs. Um, and, and that's, I guess, where where you guys don't want to, and quite rightly so, you, you shouldn't have to compromise on that. You know, you want people to come in, fit the culture and stay and, and hopefully grow with you um, and, and grow with Street Group and, and keep keep scaling, keep keep going for the future. So uh, speaking of that, five years down the line, where, where do you want street group to be what have you you must have some bit in your head where you're thinking this is this is this is where i want to be tom yeah try not to talk about my uh, our grand aspirations because it makes us sound slightly deluded but 
you know, <laughs> what, what we'd really like to be is, firstly, I think we want to change the industry, um, both for estate agents. So with our parents being estate agents, we want to make life better for estate agents, which yeah. appeal to the public as much. But <laughs> also the consumer experience of moving house is at the moment dreadful. Um, and most of that anger gets directed towards the agent. But what the general public don't know is the agents on the whole are hardworking, honest, entrepreneurial individuals. They're trying their best. They're just dealing with tech that's so outdated and, and opaque that they can't then give the service that they want to to consumers. So when you move house, generally, you know, no one gets back to you. You've got no idea what's going on. Information isn't relayed. Things are delayed. Um, so we'd really like to change the industry by by improving that experience and making agents' lives easier as well. Yeah. I think as well, just, just to add to that, you know, consumers now expect to be able to have access to things 24-7. They expect, if you want to book a viewing, you expect to be able to do that online. If you want to book in for an agent to come out of your house, you, you expect you can do that online. You can't. You can't at the moment in this industry. I mean, you order a pizza, you can see where it is, when it's going into the oven and when it's going to be arriving. You know, you order a taxi, you can see it, where it is. It comes to selling what is often people's biggest tax-free asset and there is no visibility, you know, no transparency. And it's not the agent's fault, it's technology's fault. And street will be the first thing where the first time consumers will be able to log in, they'll be able to see what's going on, they'll be guided through the process, they'll be able to communicate with their agent on their terms. You know, so I do think it's got a huge potential to make what is currently one of life's top three stressful events to hopefully something that, you know, is a lot more fun, transparent and stress-free. I'm, I'm excited. I'm thinking, I, I, like I say, I've been looking and it's like, you book, you book it. And I was like, oh, I've not got time in work. Like I'll book it this weekend and, and you can't do anything after hours. Obviously you can't bring them, call them, find out what, what everything's going on. So I mean, even, even me just, I thought that'd be, that'd be pretty handy that actually. So yeah, there's obviously a, a kind of sell there and, and there's obviously people like myself and, and estate agents, obviously, who are dealing with the hassle of it, who, who this will appeal to massively as well. Definitely. So in terms of just flipping it back to, to starting a business um, and, the, and obviously the challenges, what do you think, and I'll throw this out to, to both of you in a second, what do you think the, the most important thing for a startup is, Tom, to, to begin with? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important thing, I think, firstly, your, your, your product or service has to be good. Uh, you know, if your idea is crap or your service is crap and people don't want it, then it, it doesn't matter how much you do, how hard you work or anything like that. Um, beyond that, uh, I think we, we placed a huge emphasis on customer service and client care. So we kind of, we were the first kind of prop tech company to pioneer customer success. So we've always been extremely client focused, which in the early days, uh, we, we made some decisions that uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't have made. So to give you an example, uh, Spectre initially was an exclusive product. Um, and when we were very small, uh, some a, a very large company came to us and said, we would really like to work with you, but we want the entire country. And said, well, you can't have these areas because these have been taken. And they said, oh, we'll do X, Y, and Z, and we'll, we'll sell the data through these companies um, and we will pay you X per year. And it was a phenomenal amount of money for us at the time. Um, 
And we basically said no. And he called us naive and uncommercial uh, and basically booted us out of the office. So we, we, we took some decisions right at the beginning that we were always going to act in the best interest of our client. We'd never do anything that was even close to the gray area. Um, and in the long term, that has massively paid dividends because we've got a great reputation in the industry. Um, so obviously that's kind of a subjective experience and it's just our experience, but I would say being genuinely like fiercely client focused is always going to pay dividends because the consumer will always win in the end. Yeah. So that'd be my advice. Yeah. And Heather, you've had a, a little bit more time than Tom to, to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree with everything Tom has said, to be honest. And the, the only other thing I'd add into the mix is people. Um, and I think we got very, very lucky with our first recruit, which was purely coincidental. But she is a living embodiment of our values. You know, we trust her completely. Um, and, you know, when you, you, know, you start to expand in what I say is the footsteps of today, culture wise, are the, you know, super highways to quote an American term of tomorrow. So, you know, the things that you do in the early days just grow and snowball. And luckily I think we got the right people early on. And, in, you know, we were very lucky that we did. And it wasn't, it was luck really, rather than design. Um, bit of luck, I think you need a bit of luck. Yeah, yeah. but you know, I, I definitely think getting, recruiting people for values first and almost like skills after that. Um, and I think we definitely did that, didn't we, Tom? If you think about our early recruits, you know, we went for values, culture fit, and intelligence rather than how much experience have they got? Because frankly, we couldn't afford the really ex experienced people in our industry. So we, we looked for values and intelligence and thought we could teach everything else. And I think that served as well. I think we, yeah, as Heather said, we got lucky. I, I, I think after like the first three or four hires, we thought hiring's really easy, recruiting's really yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> And, <laughs> and then you then you make a couple of mistakes and you realize that the first kind of the first four were were luck yeah um, so yeah i think we definitely got lucky with our with our first few yeah well, i think you both kind of touched on similar subjects there you know that client focus the people behind that the culture it kind of all comes into one that you've kind of created something that that you love that you're passionate about and that culture kind of thrives through it and 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 obviously the client in the in the end sees the benefits of that from, from what you do at Root Group. But I've got one more, one more challenging question for you both now. Um, and this one always gets like a, a look into the, an itch on the, on the chin and a look into the, into the ceiling. But what, what is uh, the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And I can see Tom's thinking, don't come to me first. So I will go straight to her on this one. Um, the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Do you know, I've got a mentor who, um, is absolutely amazing. She's the CEO of a huge company and uh, she's sort of taken me under her wings. She gives me really good advice all the time. Um, so God, I could, I could give you about a hundred things. <laughs> this is a reaction um, the time, but I quite, I quite like it. It's kind of like, you know, it's going to be really, really like profound and honest when, when someone comes out of it. Um, gosh, best piece of advice. She, she said to me, this is actually, this is just more of a recent one, but recently she said, I need to think less about um, being direct. Uh, so she said, practice it, practice just being direct and you get more and more used to it and you'll stop overthinking it. Um, 
and and I actually thought that was a really good piece of advice because I think and this is maybe a very sexist thing to say but I think women tend to uh, think about things <laughs> I need to reword that yeah. uh, <laughs> I was going to say more yeah. I do have a tendency to over empathize put it that way um, there's a very good book called Radical Candor that goes into this and it's you know talks about being ruinously empathetic um, and sometimes so you find it hard to give direct messages when actually that is in the best interests of the, your team. Sometimes you need, you know, to help develop them, you need to be honest. And I think learning that and, and having someone say to me, you have to do this, practice it, was a very good piece of advice for me. Yeah, I like it, I like it. And Tom, same same question. I think it's probably, it's probably not a, a direct answer to your question because it's a, like advice about advice. Um, but I used to have a mentor who was... Um, uh, a very senior engineering manager at one of the uh, the big tech companies, and he um, he'd run businesses in the past, and he said there's there's certain things that you need to learn by making the mistake. Is yeah. that there are certain bits of advice that it doesn't matter how many times you read them, how many times people tell you, you will ignore that advice until you make the mistake yourself. And one of the one of the key ones was hiring based on experience and skill rather than culture as well um, and I think like the all blacks have the no dickheads rule um don't really have to bleep that out but um, <laughs> uh, and, and it, he was referring to that and, and he was basically saying you know you can have somebody with the exact cv that you could you know possibly dream of all the correct tech stack brilliant experience and you interview them and you you you, you don't get on with them and you think they're going to be a problem they're not, you know, you know, they're not team orientated. They're a bit of a lone wolf. You look at the CV and you think, oh, but they are perfect. And you hire them. And he yeah. said, it's basically that you will make, you'll have to make that mistake because yeah. you, can't, you can't absorb that uh, verbally because it doesn't quite make sense until you've experienced it. Yeah. And yeah, that turned out to be exactly true. We did exactly <laughs> uh, And I had to learn it the hard way. Yeah. Tell you one other piece of advice I just remembered really early on, Tom, and I don't know if you remember this, um, but somebody said to us, and this is a bit controversial, but this when we were really small and we were the first person, in, you know, first company in our industry doing what we were doing. And he said, you know, if you ever get faced with people who are ripping you off, you know, be litigious. Do you remember this, Tom? Yeah. And he said, don't be afraid of being litigious. You know, if somebody's ripping off your idea or whatever, you know, you may be small, but you can afford a lawyer to send a letter. Yeah. And that exact, it must have been, gosh, six months after that meeting, Tom, and that exact thing happened to us. And, and we did, we did exactly that. You know, we got a lawyer, we sent a letter and the same for, uh, you know, we actually received a letter from MGM telling uh, cease and desist for using the Spectre name. And I think, again, if we hadn't have had that advice about, you know, just get a lawyer and fight stuff, we would have been, you know, rebranding, panicking, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was literally James Bond selling, telling us to stop using the word Spectre. But we didn't. You know, we got a lawyer, we fought it, and we won. Um, so, yeah, even if you're small, don't be afraid to be litigious yeah. if you yeah, need to. You yeah, and, and I think that's really good advice for, for people out there because it does happen, you know, companies do sit there and, and because they're small, um, they kind of get taken advantage of in, in aspects and then they just back down and... And kind of don't fight it and so yeah I, com I completely agree with that with that advice i mean it's been obviously fantastic having you guys on the show um, and having laura on last week so i'm really excited to to get these both out um and one thing i, I do just want to kind of 
touch on though, just before we finish, is just because you both mentioned mentors then, uh, how how important has that been then for you to um, just having that that sounding board, not which isn't each other from the from the start, right, and having someone you know who, who has given you that direction. Heather, sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, firstly, I would say having Tom as a sounding board is, is has been the most important thing, and I think, like Tom said earlier, if I if I need picking up, I know Tom will pick me up. If I need bringing down, Tom will bring me down. You know, it's a good leveler to have somebody that you work with that you can trust to you know sort you out um <laughs> you, know, you know tell you if you've been unreasonable or if actually you've been perfectly reasonable sometimes you just need to know but having a mentor for me um i was actually in i was on a panel with her and she was so impressive um in the lead up because i was on stage and it was the first time i'd been on stage and this was in front of thousands of agents and obviously i was pretty nervous and she was on the panel with me and she just gave me amazing advice before we got onto the stage. She said, look, I've done this hundreds of times, do this, say this, you know, breathe, you know, stuff like that. So afterwards, after I had a few drinks in the bar, I just approached her and I said, look, I know we've never met and this is the first time, but honestly, that advice he gave me just before we got on stage was amazing. I don't suppose there's any chance that you would mentor me. And she was like, of course I will, blah, 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 blah. And um, yeah, and so, I just asked her and now obviously we have to do our catch-ups virtually but before that you know I'd go to her office she'd, she'd come over to Manchester um, and the advice that she's given me I, I always come away from our meetings with pages and pages and pages of notes advice ideas um, so I personally couldn't recommend having a mentor enough it's been super helpful for me yeah and same to, same to you Tom yeah I think um I can't remember. I can't remember where this came up or who I was talking to, but we ended up talking about what it's like to run a, a company that's scaling as quickly as as we are. Yeah. And the the problem is that at any stage of the business, you're desperately trying to learn a new skill, and by the time you feel like you've even half mastered it, that skill is is no longer relevant. So like you're starting off, you're like, right, I need to do branding. I need to learn how marketing, uh, and then you then, right, I need to learn engineering, I need to learn infrastructure, but by the time you've actually got half decent at it, you've grown to a point where, you know, you've got people who are handling that for you and then you need to work on your management and then uh, organizational structure. So whatever stage you're at, so long as you're growing quickly, you're always kind of out of your depth. Yeah. Um, and so it's super important to have people that you can reach out to who've been there and done that um, to just give you guidance on the bits that you're encountering for the first time or having trouble with. Um, so yeah, I think it's invaluable. Yeah, and I think that 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 frankness, that openness, and you know, you, like, like you said, you know, you you're out your depth all the time. That's what starting a business is. And hopefully, someone out there now who who's thinking of starting it and thinks, no, I'm out my depth, will go right. This is normal. I need someone. Uh, they might even reach out to you two and see if you'll help them. But yeah, it's been it's been fantastic having you both on the show. I appreciate you you coming uh, and sitting down with me and, and obviously discussing Street Group. And I'm really excited to see where this goes for you guys. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe in a year's time, maybe in a couple of years' time, we'll be sat back on 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 the podcast um, with a different background and not a reindeer over my shoulder, uh, and we can have another chat and find out where the the success has, has taken you but yeah congratulations to you both on on street group and where that's going and, and hopefully you know we, we we can talk again in the future but thanks for coming on the show oh, thanks for inviting yeah. us really enjoyed it good stuff